Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hi, and welcome to Out of Line. Hi, Candace. Hi. We've got a special guest with us this afternoon as we record, Ashley Jefferson. Welcome. Thank you for being Hello. here. Hello. Thank you for having me. Ashley, will you give us a quick bio of yourself so that people know who you are and uh, why you're joining us? Okay. Um, so my name is Ashley Jefferson. Um, a lot of people call me Miss Ashley. Also the early childhood enthusiast in play advocate. Um, I am based in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Um, just outside of Atlanta. Um, I have a, an early learning program called Playpen African. I also do children's programming with puppets. Um, and so I love all things early childhood. I've been doing this work for just about 20 years now. Um, and it's been amazing. So I'm excited for this conversation. And thank you guys for having me. Yes. Thank you for joining us. You, um, that was a very humble intro. You have your hand in so many things. So you have your small school program for kids called play pan African, but then you also have Nguzo babies Uh and that's a show really, right? Yes. So that it's still in the beginning. There's so much that goes into it that I feel like I've been doing it for the longest time, but I think, you know, it's, it's still a new baby show. So we're doing um, it's about seven puppets um, and they go to magic land and just learning about the principles of Kwanzaa and being good friends with each other. So that's, um, I think we're in going into our second year at this point. So that's been really exciting for us. Nice. And you can be found on many different Instagram accounts, but at early childhood <laughs> enthusiast is like your no. main account. Yes. Early childhood enthusiast. But then there's also Playpen African and then there's Nguzo, N-G-U-Z-O underscore babies. Um, So I have three, but I'm probably the most candid and vocal on early childhood enthusiasts. So if you want me with no filter, follow that one. If not, then you should probably go to my professional pages. (laughs) Awesome. We prefer the no filter version. Okay. (laughs) Right. Me too. Cool. Ashley agreed to come on today to discuss with us um, an article about Montessori and the accessibility around Montessori, how it kind of has become, or the question, I guess, that is posited in the article is, has it become a method only for the privileged? Um, The title, it's a New Yorker magazine piece. And of course, New Yorker loves the sexy headlines. So it is titled The Miseducation of Maria Montessori. Subtitle, her method was meant for the public, then it became a privilege. Oh, the drama. Drama. (laughs) Oh, boy. So that just came out on March 3rd um, this year. And it's just, um, it's a good one. It's interesting because I think... um, I, we've never, Ashley, you and I have never talked directly about it, but we've both alluded to some things I think that make me feel like, you know, we've kind of got a similar viewpoint on this. So um, that's why I asked you to come chat with us. And Candace sure. had worked here in the local public schools for a long time, which um, one of our things in our local schools is we have 
public schools that are neighborhood public schools and we have public schools that are called theme schools. And there's this whole set of Montessori theme schools and they Mm. happen to be the best resourced among the best resource and Mm. um, Mm -hmm. also the whitest schools in our public school district locally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that that's kind of addressed in this article, but I guess going into this before even reading, did you have any assumptions that you want to share or any thoughts just about Montessori and the privilege associated with it? Well, you know, I think for me, um, one of the things I I consider myself, um, I borrow um, from a lot of different philosophies and we follow the children. And no matter what I've done, whether it's been playpen African, whether it's been a nanny, whether I've been babysitting, no matter what, that's kind of always been my philosophy. So I think hearing, um, even with my education, Montessori has just been part of it, but there's also been high scope. There's also been creative curriculum. There's also been Reggio Emilia. So um, I've always looked at education, like there's lots of ways to do it, especially as a teacher. And if you're following the child, some things will work with one child that may not work with the other. So that's kind of always been my philosophy. So now that I have my own program and I have this process of interviewing people to make sure that they're a good fit, a lot of it, a lot of them are like, oh, it's like Montessori, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we have wooden toys, I guess. (laughs) But I never saw myself as a Montessori program. And, you know, one of the things that's always been important to me as an African-centered program is make sure we pay homage to um, our culture. And so for me, I think people that are coming in, especially of if, you know, they're of African descent and then wanting it to be Montessori, I'm like, you're missing the point. <laughs> I have these children in front of me and we follow their lead and whatever works, this is what we put in place with the program. So for me, I, I always kind of laugh about it. Like I get the fascination. I understand what she's done. I understand how many people have been impacted by it. I think there have been a lot of brilliant people that I even know personally that have come from the Montessori background. But for me, I, I don't give it as much power. So it's just odd to me that like, you know, I, I you know, like I said, I, I respect it, but I also respect a ton of other curriculums too. I respect the child is ultimately what it comes down to. So I think for me, I'm always kind of like, it's a little bit frustrating because it's like, that is the gold standard. And it's not even necessarily because people know a lot about education it's not because they know a lot about children or parenting it's just because that that you know the name of it yes which on the flip side of it it's kind of dope that she's been able to do that because she created a whole brand with it and that's kind of where I am with thinking about how does playpen African continue on and you know we've had these discussions any about like what am I going to do next year am I going to be in the classroom this is a whole other thing this is why I said this is probably going to go longer but um you know just I I think it's great that she's been able to do that for herself I think it is a method that can work for a lot of children but when we use that as the only stamp um it's kind of kind of counterproductive because we're talking about following the lead of the children and letting them um work in the way that works best for them. And um, not every child is going to do that. And not every program is going to do that. And that doesn't mean that the program is necessarily not legit just because it's not Montessori. So. And I think a lot of 
like you don't have to actually be like certified in Montessori to call yourself a Montessori program. So I think like any program today we're Montessori. You don't anymore? No. Oh, oh, I like, didn't know that. I thought you did. I mean, they, they were tight on it for a while. I don't think it's as tight. I think Waldorf is very tight still. Um, but yeah, I, I, that was part of the article and I did write that Waldorf down. Waldorf right? is like, really good too. Sorry, there's go a ahead. Whole, what'd you say? No, I like Waldorf too. Like there's, <laughs> I, I think there's beauty in all of it, but yeah, I didn't even realize that people are just calling themselves that and not being certified. Um, I think from a business standpoint, I'd be annoyed about that, but. Yeah, yeah. we had the public schools were like, how are Montessori school, but like, none of the teachers were actually certified Montessori teachers. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, Well, and I also think that, that I laughed actually really hard, Ashley, when you said that about, that's the first question we often get to when we're giving tours, like, oh, mm-hmm. child center, child led. So it's like a Montessori school. Right. And we, and, and walking through our, our, our facility when there aren't kids in it and we're not doing programming, it, it kind of looks like a Montessori school because we do have some tools that are used in Montessori. And, and if you don't know a lot about Montessori, which most people don't, like you said, it's a term that they know a little bit of, right. and maybe they recognize, you know, the pink tower or whatever the, uh, the author in the article talks a lot about the hundred tile counting board, right? Like those are like very right. uniquely Montessori things. Um, but we laugh because we're like, it's just, you say child-led and people go right to Montessori and right. we're very different. Uh, one time we gave a tour to a parent who is familiar with the Montessori method and it was during um, some programming. So there were kids around and when we have kids around, it is not a very neat and orderly place. No, very different from a Montessori school. I was going to say parent that. Was horrified. They were like, <laughs> What is with the mess? <laughs> no, when I, the opening of the article, I was like, this sounds nothing like my freaking program at all. I was like, what the, f-? they're not doing that. Like, right? you saw, like, I just cleaned the school and I was like, I don't understand why people send their children here, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I do want to go back though. So when I comment, just to clarify, as far as people not being, because I know people take words and run with them. As far as people not being certified, it's not because I'm saying, oh, they're not even certified. I just mean from a branding standpoint, because I know for me, I would absolutely hate it if people said they were Playpen African and they don't, because that's, that's my name. So that's what I meant by it. Um, totally. I don't know if that's important or no, not. No, we I got that. To clarify I, on that. We yeah. got that. But that is a good point to clarify because uh, some of the best Montessori teachers I've known have learned from other Montessori teachers and never had a credential. And I actually think that speaks a little bit to, in the article, they talk about how closely Montessori held her cards to her chest because she didn't want it. You know, she, they said to protect the the name from contamination, right? Like, and, and, that's, and that's probably exactly also why it's with. not as accessible because the training, the resources, the materials that it takes to pull off a high quality Montessori education are not what's available to public schools or programs like yours and ours, where you're trying to provide it in accessible, affordable ways. Like it's expensive to train people to high fidelity in any model of of schooling, you know, and, um, and you wouldn't be able to have, you know, like a public school kindergarten has one teacher to 25 kids. You, you can't have that in a right. truly authentic Montessori style program. 
Yeah, and I think too, um, just from, because I'm at the point now, you know, where we are a smaller program, but my, I've always, my philosophy has always been the parent is the child's first teacher. So I'm always empowering parents. I'm, I'm always saying, you know, I'm always advocating for homeschooling. So this program, the setup of it that I created was more so about people that either didn't really know how quote unquote to homeschool, um, but they wanted something different or they did, they, they were fine with their children going to school, but they wanted something a little bit different. Um, and that said, now that I'm stepping out to focus on my son, because <laughs> I want to make sure that I, I embody what I said I wanted to be as a mother or as a parent, if I step away, what happens when I'm not there? Is the integrity of the program still there? And that part of it has been really difficult for me because I'm like, I need to make sure I write down everything, which is really hard to do when your philosophy is about being child-led. And I don't even, to be honest with you, I, I borrow from things, but I don't write down the stuff that I do, which is fine for me and it's fine for the children. Um, I kind of just let it unfold. And I'm one of those people I can just move in the moment. And lots of people have said, you know, you have a gift to come up with creative activities like in that moment, but based on watching them. So that said, taking that, stepping away and handing it over to other people and wanting to be sure that they do it in the way that you want them to, which literally means make sure you're present, which means make sure that you're flexible and creative and innovative and that sort of thing. That's really a hard thing to make sure that people will do without systems, which is kind of, again, counterproductive, but I totally get it. Like you work so hard on it. Um, you built something and you want to make sure that the children are getting the experience that you intended for them, but you're only one person. You can't be there for every child. So I definitely understand that. Um, it's a hard position to be in. And um, especially, I think, I don't know what times were like back then, but now, you know, considering the programs that we have, we're up against a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different jargon when it comes to early childhood education and making sure that you are not discredited with the things that you do when you're not there um, is it's really important. And um, it, we're up against a lot, our, the, the programs that we run, the, the way that we think about children. Um, it's hard to navigate. And so when you stand in that and you create something that has worked for families and it's working for the children, for me, there's so much fear around being like, all right, I'm going to hand it off to somebody else, but I have to put a huge structure in place that says, this is exactly what you need to do. Only because I don't trust anybody with these babies, but it's like, that's not even what you do either. So it's a constant, I, I mean, I get it. Hold it close to your chest, man. I totally <laughs> empathized with her through that too, because yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and we've talked about this and Candace and I are in the same place where like, we need to find the slowdown for ourselves as mothers and in our family. Like we, we want to create that space to live at a slower pace so that we can unschool and choose to like really be conscientious Absolutely. and conscious about it with our kids, but we're giving everything to make this work. And yeah, like I hadn't thought of it from that perspective of like, it was happening in her lifetime. It's not that something that happened after she was gone. Like she right. was trying to control the growth 
but also maintain the, you know, the heart of it and and preserve it. And, and yet she had all the same ideas, right? Like her ideas were getting rid of rewards and punishments. Like school should not be based on rewards and punishments. We should be helping kids find their intrinsic motivation and self-regulation and, um, you know, get rid of, I loved the idea. They, you know, the article said, she recognized that authoritarianism and competition, which were the ingredients of school at the time, create violence. Like she was predicting uh-huh. the, pri- the school to prison pipeline before it was there. And she was trying to find something different. Um, and, and based on work by Seguin, Seguin and, and Froebel and other people who influenced her, right? Like she wasn't the first to come up with these ideas, but she did it in a unique way. But then right. yeah, to maintain that, without giving it totally away. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. How do you do that? And, and she was so anti-system really. Like she was so distrustful, just like probably the three of us would all say we are of the system yeah. we've chosen to step away from. Right, right. Which is also wild to me. And we've talked about this too with, with these kinds of programs. You know, we stop at a certain age. So where are these children going to next? And have these parents, are they really down for what you do? Because, uh, you know, a lot of, um, I'm considering having it grow with the children. But if I don't, the conversations of, well, here we are, I'm sending them here. Are they ready? And I'm I'm just like, that's, that's never been the program. I think it's odd that we're having this conversation. But it, it's so hard because even if you create your own little quote unquote bubble or your own little world of what you're doing and it works in that, that time and space, once they leave, are parents going to continue creating that safe space? Um, should we be worried about that? I don't know. What, what do we, you know, what can we do? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> We're trying. We're we're we're, our programming extends into school age children serving homeschool families, Um, and because right now, like, it is like pushing kids off a cliff. They can go to the best early childhood. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Like exactly. And then they go to kindergarten, and it's like, okay, now here's this worksheet, and here's this, and here's that, and I mean, I don't get anything once my kids my kids are in public school. Once they get there they stop bringing home art. They bring home worksheets, mm, you know, yeah. where there's like a little square for them to draw a picture or whatever, but like, I don't get art and creation anymore. And I feel really sad about that. I, I mean, there are benefits to it that, you know, it works right now for our life, but um, yeah, it is. It's like, it's just two different worlds. We have we're lucky in this country to still have access to play-based, just authentic, rich, materialist, materially rich early childhood programs. Um, you know, I think a lot of that play, and then they go to they go to you know grade school, and it's gone. Right, and I think that that is the thing. I think teachers in grade school need to start speaking up more about the problems that they're having, and then addressing. Um, Maybe for some of them, they do need to be educated on why even for later grades, play-based is helpful or um, 
I used to say project-based, but even then it's so consumed with this idea of an outcome at the end of it, but just moving forward with this philosophy because there's such a disconnect because people think from this time frame, you know, zero to five or whatever, play-based is okay. And then after that, it's like, no, we're not doing that anymore. So if teachers from the older grades were having these conversations and being more vocal about it, I think that transition would be easier for um, parents, for the children, for policymakers, everybody. And I feel like there are, you know, we do have um, varying perspectives on early childhood amongst the early childhood educators, but it's especially prevalent as, the children leave and go into these older grades. And it's like, if you guys are not saying anything, it's hard for us to keep talking about why this is so valuable if you're not speaking up on um, why play-based is so important, why following the lead of the children is so important. And I get it, there's, there's all sorts of factors at play, but these conversations just need to keep being had because it is about funding on one hand, but it's also about where do we stand on the, the concept of family, on the concept of children, on education in general? And if we don't have these conversations on all fronts, then there's always gonna be that disconnect where we can talk as much as we want about, hey, during this phase, this is what we do. Even I've talked to early childhood educators and they'll say, yes, play-based, play-based, play-based. And then I'll say, okay, well, what about when they turn seven, eight? And they're like, I don't really know about that age. And I'm like, that's not what you say to parents. <laughs> you can't say that. You can't say that for yourself because then you don't know what happens. That, right. That's it, We can champion it all we want when they're younger, but we have to talk about what does that look like when they get older? Because yeah. if you don't, then that's why parents are confused because they're, they're like, well, I, they need to be ready because once they're in kindergarten, it's serious business. So once they get to first grade, it's serious business, right? You guys don't know. You're not speaking on that. The older ones, the older teachers are not. So then what? So it's, it's confusing. Yeah. Candace, what do you have to say on that as somebody who's worked more, more primarily in, in the elementary school grades and lower, lower elementary, I know we've had conversations about how, um, it doesn't, it, it just doesn't happen. Like it's just, why tell, tell us your perspective, yeah. Candace. <laughs> it's a lot of, um, <laughs> too, right. So I've tried to speak up so much in my past jobs and it's so hard because the culture, then, then people look down on you. Right. So then now you're in like, you're getting bad reviews or you're, you're getting like, you know, spoken to about the ch children's behavior because you're not making them see perfect straight line, right? And it's really, it really comes down to the culture. And so trying to put play-based into, you know, even a, a regular kindergarten in a compulsory school system, it's so difficult because you try to do it and maybe your classroom's a little louder or maybe, you know, you're not spending so much time on, you know, they're not passing their tests as fast, right? So they're not reading as fast. And so it's like that that culture that has to change too from the top down. And also it's I don't like you said Ashley, like I don't think it's funny. But I also at the same time wonder about like five hundred square foot classrooms with like twenty and how do right. how where they play. 
Yeah. Your audio is cutting out a little bit, but I can read your lips. So I'm going to repeat like a 500 square foot classroom with 25 kids. Like, where do you make space for play? Like literally, where do you make space for play? And I think that was interesting. The um, article mentioned common core standards have squeezed out free play. And so I think that's another unique thing in American education in these last several years with the introduction of common core and feeling like we have to hit these standards. And that is more on a district level administration, school boards, policy, policymakers pushing these standards on teachers when those standards can be taught through play and they can be proven that they've been accessed through play or non-invasive um, forms of um, assessment, but we don't do that because it's much easier to put a number on it and, and label it and move on. Right. Yeah. I had a classroom for three year olds and it was 25 children in there with one teacher. So that was like mayhem and they were not used to play best based at all, but say that again, 25, three-year-olds with one teacher how is that? Te- well, I had an assistant. Okay, okay. But with a teacher and an assistant. No, it's still terrible. Yes, yes, <laughs> like, yes, 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 yes. Only because, <laughs> Too many you know, kids. what made it worse. Right, but here's the thing. Even um, in my program, we've had about 18. Now, granted, like, I think, one, we do a lot of field trips to the forest. Um, our backyard space is huge. We're in a schoolhouse, so there's a lot more room for them to move on- around in. Um, but even in that time frame that the director was like we want to bring more play base I love what you're doing but and I did it as best as I could like I changed up the classroom the structure of the day was a lot different but the parents had already been used to how things were done so they some of them were receptive but some of them just didn't get it at all so there's just this huge disconnect in them not understanding and again it comes down to like I think we have to look at a couple of things. If you're getting reprimanded, that goes right back to what we were talking about, this idea of being rewarded or, you know what I mean? So I think what's probably going to have to happen, and I, and I say this a lot in that adults need to play more, but I think it's gonna have to get to a point where we recognize that a lot of times when we're going to therapy, and we're having to speak to this concept of inner child, which is like, I, I'm hearing that a lot on social media now, but I, I understand that fully. But we're talking about the things that we need to heal from our inner childhood and understanding that a lot of that stems from our how we approach early childhood, how we approach being children. When we start to connect those dots, that's when I think things will change because a lot of the things in adulthood that we're running from are literally the things, the patterns that... Play-based early childhood educators are trying to put in place so that you won't have to heal from that when you're an adult. And I think that's, unfortunately, it's going to have to get to that point where everybody's going to therapy and they're just like, "Mm, this didn't work for me. I remember, you know, when I was a kid, this happened to me, you know, I got in trouble for this. There's just so many things. I didn't know how to speak up for myself. I didn't have the right language. I was just told just to keep quiet, blah, 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 And until we address that portion of us, when we personalize it in that way and make it a point to say, I need to heal my inner child. Okay. So this is what needed to be done for me. What are we going to do for the children that are here now? That's how deep it has to get because whatever we're doing now is not working at all. It's not. Yeah. Well it comes said. the adults. 
Yeah, it comes down to the adults. Adults doing it. Because a lot of us don't realize that we suck. We think that what (laughs) happened to us worked, and here we are doing self care. We're doing things, you know what I mean? We're, we're doing all this stuff to get away from our problems. And maybe if we just didn't have a sucky childhood, that would have helped. <laughs> oh my gosh. And maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't have a sucky childhood, but we had a childhood where we felt like we were constrained to certain, yeah. you know, rigid. What sucks? <laughs> it sucks. It doesn't have to be super dramatic. No, it doesn't have to be super dramatic. You don't have to to have high levels of trauma. You can have just a classroom teacher who is too damn mean, too darn mean. Yeah, (laughs) but imagine if you were if you were told when you were younger, you can choose how you want to live your life. You can choose what you learn. That's amazing that that's your focus right now. Keep at it. Well, and some of us were told that, but didn't actually have the follow through on that. Right? You can be whatever you want to be. As long right. as it falls into this little narrow window of what we expect. Absolutely. And then look at us having midlife crises and, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out what we want to do or feeling bad about the fact that we do make changes. Like we do want to change ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like that's the other thing about play-based learning. It really speaks to this idea that you don't have to be one thing forever. Like if this is what you want to focus on, focus on it. Oh, you want to change? perfectly fine giving you permission to move intuitively and I just I I think that's something that we lose as adults and we don't realize how big of a problem it is even though we're screaming at each other we're having to go to therapy we're exhausted we don't get to spend the quality time that we want with our children and our families like we're not making the connection and until we do that this is going to keep happening like we haven't mastered adulthood (laughs) So maybe no. we need to scale back and figure out what we were doing before. Let's look back to childhood, right? Yeah. No, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much, Ashley. We have so much more to say. So we are definitely going to have another episode with you, but thank you for joining <laughs> us tonight. The article is in the New Yorker magazine, the miseducation yes, Montessori. Maria Montessori. I just said go Montessori, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We will talk to you guys again. Thank you for getting out of line with us tonight, Ashley. Bye. Bye. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work, and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.